Welcome to St. James. I'm glad that you guys are here. Welcome to whoever's watching on the live stream as well, too. Uh, I got a whole uh, slew of notices here to throw at you, try to do this as fast as possible. First of all, if you could sign the guest books at the end of uh, your row and then pass those down so other people can sign those as well. Uh, new members class tonight at 6.30. Uh, we're talking about baptism. We have, uh, I believe we have a special guest star who's going to be there tonight, uh, Nick Shoddy, who's going to be talking about that. And um, so that'll be good. Uh, come at 6.30. Anybody who, if you haven't been to any of the classes so far, it's totally fine. You, you're, you're free to come at 6.30. Uh, today, at the end of service today, uh, we're going to have a door offering for the matching grant for Metro East Lutheran High School that Lutheran Foundation has provided for us, the um, $3 for every $1 grant. So uh, that'll be after the service. We're going to do the, the same thing in a couple of weeks. We're gonna, so we're going to do it twice. But like I said last week, this is not because I want you to give twice. It's because uh, so many of us travel. Our numbers are always down in the summer. A bunch of people traveling. So this gives an opportunity. If you miss this, uh, there'll be another opportunity in a couple of weeks. If you forgot today, uh, I think that I can't remember June... Um, 16th is, we're going to do that on June 16th as well. Uh, what else do I need to say about that? Oh, you can also give to that if you don't want to give to one of the door offerings. You can always just send in a check, but, but put on the memo that it's for um, the Metro East Lutheran High School matching grant. If you have any questions, you can talk to our representatives on the school board there, uh, Mark Eberhardt, Eric Robinson, Dan Stocky, they can answer questions about that. Um, let me give you just a brief update on the ministry clarity process. Uh, so the vision team got together and uh, worked on some stuff. They also, uh, many of you filled out the survey that was sent out about uh, what, what do you see the mission and vision of this church being. So we had a meeting with Tom Agarbrecht who came in and we all had dinner. A bunch of us had dinner downstairs and we kind of hashed through this. Coming out of that meeting, um, you guys together put a bunch of information on page, and then the, the uh, vision team got together and crafted a vision statement, which the guys from LCF, two of them have told me it's the best one they've ever read. So you should uh, uh, go ahead and congratulate yourself, but uh, silently, because I'm going to read this. Here's the vision statement. Uh, together we have found healing and hope in Jesus Christ and welcome others to experience these same gospel promises. Together we found healing and hope in Jesus Christ and welcome others to experience these same gospel promises. Um, I had a meeting with Tom Egebrecht, uh this past week and we, he, he wanted to boil down out of this vision statement three kind of pillar concepts. And then I'm gonna preach on each one of these uh, in the next month or so. Healing, community, and restoration. And then, as just an update on the process, what we're going to do is we're going to have a, a, a ministry team that's going to get together a group of us and evaluate all the ministries that the church is doing and see whether or not they're supported by these pillars, by this vision statement. And if they aren't, letting them go, hand, handing them off to God and, and trusting him to take care of those things, and coming up with ideas for things that we can do that, that, that do fit in with the vision that God has given you guys for what the church should be. So as we go along, um, I'll give you more and more updates about that. Uh, let's see, anything else? Oh yeah, um, John Lang has told me to tell you guys that farewell and he will see you in two months. 
he has been trying to get to China to, uh, he's been, uh, he was asked a year or so ago to, to pray about becoming uh, the pastor at an English-speaking congregation in Shenzhen, which is just outside of Hong Kong. And it just didn't go through. Oh, with the COVID stuff, um, couldn't get a visa. He got a visa, it was very suddenly this past week. He got told, I think it was on um, Sunday, that they're coming. Monday, he got the visa in the mail. Uh, Wednesday morning, he was on a flight. He's there in Shenzhen right now, and he's gonna be preaching for the next couple months. So, and, and, and when he left, he said, like, I, St. James is my sending congregation. He wished that there could be a moment where we would gather around him and pray for him and lay hands on him and send him off to China. But because of just needing to escape town so fast, it didn't happen. So I'm gonna pray for him this morning, but that's where he's at. Uh, interestingly enough, his brother Josh is gonna be here in a couple weeks and preach to us. So uh, we'll get uh, the lesser of the two langs in a couple weeks. Okay, um, two people are gonna come and talk to us. Your friend, my friend, uh, Tina Barnard and then Stacy Stocky are gonna come and talk to us about some announcements. And when Stacy's done, uh, we'll go ahead and sing the opening hymn. Good morning. Uh, I'm so glad you shared the mission uh, statement for the church because I'm gonna to talk to you about uh, two ways you can provide healing and hope in our community. The first is something new, and I'm representing this, if I can get this out, with this hanger, because now the clothing and household areas at Glenhead Pantry are open to the public and that they're still open to our uh, families, but it's open to the public. Everything is priced from 10 cents to $5, top price $5. So if you have things to donate to this, um, to this thrift shop, please do so. If you know somebody who would benefit from it, please tell them. And um, if you'd like to try it, please go. Um, the things that are $5 have tags on them. They've never been worn. Uh, and there are beautiful things up there. Um, it's open. Uh, the open hours are on our website. It's open Thursday and Friday uh, from 1 to 5 p.m. And Saturday from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. The other thing is something you're familiar with. I hate to do this in June, but it's time to collect for back, back to school. Uh, last year, St. James was very, very generous and helped us uh, serve over 400 students, give them school supplies, which is beyond uh, the ability of most of our families to provide for their kids. Uh, and uh, the month of July, we'll be collecting at the collection basket for those things. But I did want to mention two things. Uh, that require cash. Uh, and if you are so led, we'd appreciate your support of those two. We provide a $25 gift card for every student that gets a backpack so they can buy uh, a pair of shoes for school. And so we work with Payless Shoe Store and uh, they make up the difference of the $25, which is wonderful. The other thing is, and all of you who know who have gone to um, Edwardsville High School, a PE uniform is required 
and they are not inexpensive. So that's another thing that um, Glennon Pantry does. Thank you so much for your support. You guys have just uh, provided so many things for the pantry all year. And um, please consider these other uh, opportunities um, to provide healing and hope. Okay, I have some youth group announcements. Tuesday night, 6.30 to 8 o'clock, if you are junior high, senior high age, please come join us. You will have a wonderful time. We build community, fellowship, we have fun together, we eat snacks, we play games. So be there this Tuesday night. We are going to take a two-week break the first two weeks of July, because the first one's July 4th. We'll all be watching fireworks. And the second one, our youth group will be on mission up in Minnesota. They're going to Callaway, Minnesota for a missions trip. And I know this is super short notice, but if you are here next week and you have any home items you could donate, like think laundry detergents, soap, shampoo, things of this nature, while we're up there, we're going to be doing VBS during the day and hosting a family movie night in the evening, inviting the community to come to the church on site that we're partnering with to watch episodes of The Chosen. We'll give them popcorn, some lemonade, and we're going to have goods available for them to take home, like pantry items or household necessities, diapers, baby wipes, anything God puts on your heart, we need it. So whatever comes to mind for you, Bring it on Sunday, drop it off throughout the week when the church is open in office hours, and we'll take that with us. Thank you.
watching all our lambs and sheep. Christ the gate that guards the sheepfold, never failing vigil keep. When we stray, good shepherds seek us, find us, lift us, bear us home. Lamb of God, our shepherd, keep us, let us hear your voice alone. Christ, our way that leads unfailing to the Father's home on high. Christ, the truth that frees the continue in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Look down in mercy on us, Lord, we see confess our sin to God. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, be the God of your people today. We confess that we have worshipped too many other gods. We have devoted ourselves to all too many different values. Turn our hearts to you again. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, be the God of your people today. We confess that we have visited all too many sanctuaries we have tried to find the sources of life in all too many other places. Turn our hearts to you again. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, be the God of your people today. We turn to you and to you alone to be our God, our only God. Forgive our sins. Give us spiritual integrity. Give us wholeness and holiness. Answer us in the name of Christ for he has promised to intercede for us. It is in him that we pray, in the fellowship of his body, 
Amen. Upon this, your confession, I announce the grace of God to all of you. And in the stead and by the command of my Savior, Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Uh, the psalm for this morning is Psalm 105, at least part of Psalm 105. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength, seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles, and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. Then he brought out Israel with silver and gold, and there was none among his tribes who stumbled. Egypt was glad when they departed, for dread of them had fallen upon it. He spread a cloud for a covering and fire to give light by night. They asked, and he brought quail and gave them bread from heaven in abundance. He opened the rock, and water gushed out. It flowed through the desert like a river, for he remembered his holy promise, and Abraham his servant. So he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing, and he gave them the lands of the nations, and they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil, that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. Glory be to the Father and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated.
Old Testament reading is the call of Abraham, and it's spread out over, uh, what is that, six chapters in Genesis. But um, I picked out kind of the main points in chapter 12, 15, and 17, and um, so we're looking at three different chapters here, and we'll talk about these, each one of these during the sermon, or I will, I mean. So Genesis 12, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Uh, that's the, his foreman that works for him. Abraham doesn't have any kids. Abraham and Sarah don't have any kids, and so his property is going to pass on to his foreman, but he really wants a son. Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And God brought Abram outside and said, Look toward heaven. And number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, which means uh, father of many, but your name shall be called Abraham, which means in Hebrew, father of many nations. For I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Epistle reading from Galatians chapter three. Paul says, now before faith came, We were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Holy Gospel according to St. John, chapter 8. The Jews answered Jesus, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets and yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he's our God. But you've not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I'd be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Maybe seated. So today, this is the third uh, third Sunday in the uh, path we're going to take through Scripture. We're, we're looking at the story of the whole Bible from beginning to end, starting in Genesis and going through Revelation. We're, we're of course not looking at every text that would be um, that would be unmanageable for um, for a group like us to do in uh, a worship context. But we are going to look at the big signpost. I would encourage you this week, if you have not been keeping up, I would encourage you this week to read Genesis chapter 4 through 11. We have the past two weeks, two weeks ago, we looked at creation, and then last week we looked at the fall, and today we're going to look at the next installment. Creation and fall together, this is basically... If you, if you read Genesis 1 through 3, you will understand why it is that you feel the way you do about your existence. 
I believe. If, if you have a worldview that doesn't take into account that God created this beautiful world and infused it with beauty and with uh, glory and with justice and righteousness, you won't have any mechanism for making sense of all the goodness that you know is real about who you are and about who the people in your life are and, and about the world around you. If you do not take into account Genesis chapter three and the, the story of humanity's rebellion against God and how we've screwed the whole thing up royally, you won't have any sort of mechanism within your worldview to understand why everything in your life is, is bad. Yourself, the people around you, the world that you live in. Only creation and fall can make sense of both the goodness of the world and the terribleness of the world, of how bad things are and yet deep down how wonderful things are. We are, I'm not the first person to say this, but we are in many ways like the big, beautiful, ruined castles that you would see if you went and visited some parts of Europe, where you can see it and you can get the sense of how glorious it is and how much power and wonder went into the making of these buildings, and yet the roof is gone and the grass is growing up in between the flagstones, and, and nobody lives there. The only people who are there are tourists who come to see it. There's something broken and damaged about it, and yet still maintaining its beauty and glory. Well, that was the past two weeks. That was, we, we, we looked at Genesis 1 through 3, and, and, and that's the existence that we have. Don't let anybody take either one of those things from you. Don't let anybody tell you that everything is good. Don't let anybody tell you that everything is bad. It's not true. The Bible insists that they're both the case. But now we come to, okay, so that's a problem, right? Because the good is good and the bad is bad, and we want to get rid of the bad. How does God plan to get rid of the evil in the world? How does God plan to get rid of all the death, all the injustices, all the oppressions, all the sicknesses, all the fractured relationships, and restore the world the way he designed it to be, where we humans are in a perfect relationship with him, in a perfect relationship with each other, and in a perfect relationship with the environment, caring for the world that God gave us. How does he plan to restore it? Today, we're gonna look at that answer. The answer's a big one because it takes the whole Bible for him to tell it, right? And we're still living in it and we're still writing it now. But the first part of this answer, and maybe, look, if, if you read Genesis 12 through 17, you will get the whole story of redemption in a nutshell. The first part of this answer to, to, to the question, how does God plan to fix everything and undo all the bad things in the world is, he calls this guy Abraham. It's the first, that's, that, that's the first answer. He calls a man named Abraham to be his guy, and he sets this guy on a course to heal the whole world. Abraham really has no clue what any of this is about. He, I mean, he knows that God has told him that, that you're the guy, you're gonna fix the whole world. He doesn't know how he's gonna do it. He knows that, like the, the Solzhenitsyn quote that I gave you guys from last week, that when Abraham looks at the world, that it's not, a, it's, it's not a case of Abraham is the good guy and they're the bad guys. Like Solzhenitsyn said, if you look at the line that runs between the line of us and them, whoever the us is, oh, it's, oh us is me, I'm, I'm in the us. Some of you guys are in the us too. I'm, I'm, I'm a good guy, of course, right? Like naturally, I'm, I'm the us, I'm, I'm the good guy. The thems are the bad guys, naturally, because they're not the us's. If I try to suss out What's the line that separates me, the good guy, 
from the them, the bad guy, if I trace that line uh, closely enough, I'll see that it runs right through the middle of me, that I'm actually one of the thems. That's, I'm, 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 I'm part of the problem. Abraham knows he's part of the problem. By the way, here's a brief commercial. Don't ever read a story about like Abraham, for instance, and think, Abraham, okay, God is giving us the story of Abraham so that we can learn how to be better people. We should be like Abraham. Abraham's kind of a lousy dude. He said, if you, if you, we're not gonna look at the whole story of his life, but he's horrible to women, just absolutely horrible to women. He's not good to his own kids. He's also a good guy sometimes too, like, like everybody in the entire universe. There are good things and bad things about why, because he comes from Genesis 1 and 2. God created him, and so there's something beautiful and good about him like every other human. He's also a Genesis 3 guy, too. He's broken, and there's lots of bad stuff about him, too, because he's by nature a rebel against God like everybody else who's ever lived. So we never look at Abraham and say, okay, the whole point of this is to teach us how to be good people. Actually, the point of it is this story that we're looking at this year, this grand story and how God himself is going to fix the problems and use screwed up people like Abraham, hopefully like Aaron Miller, like all of us, to participate in this grand revitalization project. Abraham falls into that category. Now, like we've been doing, let's look at Abraham in Psalm 105. And so I'm gonna ask you to look at that in your bulletin or in your Bible. We're also gonna be looking at the Old Testament text and the epistle text too. So be ready to, to flip that single page back and forth. But in Psalm 105, and one of the best things about the Psalms is the Psalms are never vague. The Psalms never say, let's worship God. And the Psalms are never shallow. They're never like, God, we worship you because you're worthy of worship. Okay, that's true, but the Psalms always go deeper and tell us why we're supposed to worship God. And they always give us reasons. Reasons is the wrong word. They always give us things that God has done that are worthy of worship. It never says, God, we worship you because you're worthy of worship. They say, God, we worship you because you have done mighty things. Basically, you can boil those mighty things down into two categories in the Psalms. One is creation, because you made everything. Like, everything that's good about this world, you made. The second one is redemption. In, in Psalm 105, Psalm 105 is a long psalm. I didn't have us read the whole thing, just too long. Psalm 105 is a song that tells the story of God redeeming the world. Now specifically, it talks about Moses and Joseph in there. You're not gonna see that because we didn't actually read the part about Moses and Joseph. I put in there, I wanted us to read the part where he reflects on how behind God's commitment to use dudes like Moses and Joseph to rescue his people is the promise that he made to Abraham. That's the foundational promise of the entire Bible that you and I depend upon now too is the promise that God made to Abraham. So let's look at this, uh, let's look at a few things and then we're not gonna read it again. But a few things, actually I'm gonna give you three things. These are the three big things that God promised to Abraham. Three big things. And the first is blessing. So look at eight, eight, verses eight through 10 in the Psalm. God remembered his covenant forever. The word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute to Israel as an everlasting covenant. God makes this promise to Abraham and says, I will always keep this promise. Unlike any of the gods, unlike any other God in the universe, and I mean like pagan gods, like what was Zeus, Osiris, Bel, or Marduk, any of the pagan gods, or any of our current secular gods, 
money, sex, or power, which are all, all wonderful things, but when we turn them into objects of worship, they can never, ever be faithful enough to us to rescue us. Money goes away, attractiveness goes away, power ebbs and flows. Only God gives the covenant promise that I will be on your side forever and ever. I will never bail on you. I will never flee from you like your good looks. I will never go away from you like your money. I will never go away from you like the respectability that we all want other people to, to, to have for us. I will always be there. Look down at verse 37. There's a big jump here. Verse 37. Then he brought out Israel with silver and gold, and there was none among his tribes who stumbled. Look at all these good things God has given him. Egypt was glad when they departed, for dread of them had fallen upon it. He spread a cloud for a covering and fire to give light by night. They asked, and he brought quail and gave them bread from heaven in abundance. He opened the rock. Water gushed out. It flowed through the desert like a river. He remembered his promise and Abraham his servant. So all these good things, God is faithful to them. God gives them himself. God meets their physical and material needs. There's a catchword for this, and the word in the Bible is blessing. So now flip over to the Old Testament reading. The very first section there, so that you can see there's three paragraphs there in the Old Testament reading. I'm gonna reread the uh, verses one through three, and I'm gonna ask you to silently in your brain, those of you who are in uh, the new members class, we just did this recently, so uh, you kinda know where this is going. And it's not that hard anyway. Ask yourself, what is the key theme of Genesis 12, one through three? It's real easy to tell. Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your kindred, your father's house of the land, I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So think in your brain real quick, what's the key theme of Genesis 12, one through three? B blessing, right? I mean, the word is, it's in there five or six times. Now, what is blessing? I, I know that the way that, that, a lot, maybe some of you do this, I, I don't think you do. Uh, you're, not, you're, you're too cool for this. But the way that religious people use the word blessed frequently is, um, you know, have a blessed day. I, I don't have any problem with it if, if you say that to me. Or it's, a, it's a little corny, but you can say that if you want. Or, you know, you'll take a picture of your lasagna at Sugo's and post, post it on your Instagram with the hashtag blessed. That's typically how we use the word blessed, right? Like something good. Oh, my grandkids are so wonderful. God has just blessed me. Or I got a raise at work today. God, it's a real blessing. I, now, I'm not saying that's bad. Hold on to those things. But there's a meaning in the, in the story that we've read so far. There's a meaning that lies underneath of that and provides the foundation for it. Now, I'm gonna get one more thought exercise. I'm gonna give you uh, um, only two or three seconds to think about this. In the story of the Bible that we've read so far, Genesis 1 through Genesis, at this point, Genesis 12, what does the word blessing mean in this story so far? All right? Here's what it means. I'll, 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 I'll go ahead and tell you. Adam and Eve rebel against God. We rebel against God, and we ruin his really, really beautiful creation. We introduce what Genesis 3 calls the curse. And the curse means that our relationship with God is no longer perfect, that even the most devoutly devoted people to God sense a gap or a barrier between them and God. And for most of our lives, we think, even for those of you who are Christians, for those of you who are unbelievers, the big problem that brought you to this room this morning is probably this sense that like, I, is, is there a God there? I don't know. I feel a gap between me and him. For those of you who are religious people, 
honestly, for every single one of you, there's like this hazy wall there that you would like to break through. And almost every atheist that I talk to, almost every atheist is not antagonistic. It's not that they think that there's, they hate the idea of God. Some do, but almost all of them are like, if there was a God, I wish that I could find him. I wish that I could believe in a God. The reason why that hazy wall is there between us and God and we don't sense his presence is because of the fall. The reason why the wall is there between you and your best friend even. You get, we all get glimpses sometimes of the glory that comes when you connect with somebody relationally in a really powerful, beautiful way that's bigger than the sum of the two of you or the three of you or the four of you or however big your friend group is. The reason why that wall is there because we've rebelled against God and now we can no longer see each other clearly. Almost all of you are aware of the fact that there's a wall between you and yourself. We call this identity crisis. The reason why is because we've rebelled against God and we no longer have a sense of who we ourselves are. There's a reason why the environment is screwed up. It's because human beings have screwed, this is pretty much apparent at this point in history, human beings have screwed it up. We call that the curse. Cursed is the ground for your sake. Cursed are you guys because of this rebellion. God says to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter three. Death is the big one of this, right? We are all slowly but surely headed to, towards our own deaths. That's the curse. Now, what's the opposite of curse? The opposite of curse is, sounds too, 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 you, said, you guys are good Protestants. Everybody's very silent. The opposite of cursed is blessed. And so when God comes to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and says, I'm gonna bless you, I'm gonna bless everybody who comes in contact with you, I'm gonna give, your, give, you, I'm gonna give you offspring, and through you and your offspring, all the world will be blessed. He's not saying everybody gets Sugo's lasagna, although maybe you will. He is saying, I'm gonna fix what Adam and Eve screwed up, and I'm gonna do it through you, Abraham. Does this make sense? This is not just, Abraham, I like you. I'm gonna do good things to you. He's saying, Abraham, I'm gonna use you to repair the entire world. Now, at this point, we don't know how that's gonna happen. Abraham doesn't know how it's gonna happen. God never tells Abraham exactly the mechanics of how that reparation project is gonna work, but he promises him, I will do it through you. I'm gonna bless the entire world through you. Now, that includes all these things. That includes spiritual repair. That includes mental health repair. That includes physical health repair. That includes financial repair, that includes relational repair, that includes environment repair. Now, some of you might be like, well, this sounds kind of like prosperity gospel. Like, God's plan is to, like, make us healthy and wealthy. And the reason why you think that, though, is because it's true. Is because God's plan is to make us healthy and wealthy. God's plan is to repair our relationships. That's any sort of stripping down of the gospel promises to like, y'all are gonna be miserable, but at least down deep in your heart you'll have peace with God is a really shallow notion of Christianity. In fact, it's almost not Christianity, it's almost Platonism, not Christianity at all. God is determined to fix every square inch that was ruined in the Garden of Eden, and that includes your pocketbooks, it includes your heart condition, both spiritually and physically, it includes your relationships. Now, is it gonna happen? Am I promising you that, like, if you put money in the offering plate, God's gonna give you a bunch of money? Absolutely not. Why? Genesis chapter three is still real. We're still living in the fall. We live in a broken, God will every once in a while give you a taste of eternal blessings. Every once in a while, you'll pray, like, God, heal this back pain, and he will. 
Every once in a while, you'll play, pray like, God, I, I, just, I, I wish I was closer with this person. We used to be close, and then things got in the way. Will you heal that? And he does. But that's just sort of a signpost towards Revelation 22, which we'll get to here in a few months. When God finally makes you, even then, like, so, so if you're like, God, I just need money so bad. Will you provide for me? And like, he provides like a $1,000 a year pay raise. And you say, thank you, God, for providing that. $1,000 a year, that, that's just a signpost. Someday you'll be the richest person in the entire universe. All of you will be. Because you'll own the entire universe. If you're like, like God, help this heart surgery to go well. And he, and he makes it go well. That's just a signpost. Like you're still gonna die. Someday you will have the most permanently healthy heart in the entire universe. All of you will. Right? And that's what God's promise is to Abraham is I'm gonna fix everything through you. Okay, that's the first thing. These are not three separate things. They all stack on top of each other. The second thing here is land. Look at verse 11 in our psalm, um, God says to Abram, to you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. I will give you the land of Canaan. Well, that's exactly mirroring, go back to um, um, our Old Testament reading. That's exactly mirroring, look down in the last paragraph, and I'll just make this quick, the very last verse. God says to Abram, I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God promises Abraham blessing. He's gonna save him and save the whole world. He also promises him land. I'm gonna give you this land of Canaan. Ever since Genesis chapter three, when Adam and Eve are kicked out of the Garden of Eden, them and you and I have been longing for home and never quite there. Never quite there. You are never in a place where you say, this is it, this is perfect. This is my place. I fit into this place like a hand fits into a glove. You never do. And that's because we're all exiled. Like Adam and Eve, our home is behind us and both in front, it's both behind us and in front of us. But we are not yet there. As, as, as early as I could remember, I had this wanderlust. This sense that, and Angela knows about this, like, listen, okay, we don't need to move, we don't need a new house, you're just gonna be the same person that you are if we would move or find a new house or whatever. Like, this sense that, like, I'm looking for some place. Sometimes it's a physical place. Sometimes it's like, if I could move to this part of the country, I would be happier. Or if I could, you know, move houses, I would be happier. Sometimes it's for, for me, not, not, not for all of you, but sometimes for me it's a time thing. It's like a history thing. If I could live at this particular place in time in history, I would be much happier. But there's this sense that I am not home yet. And the reason why is because I am not home yet. The promise that God has a land for me has not quite yet been fulfilled, but it's been partially fulfilled. You guys are my land. Angela and the kids are my land. Glenn Carbon is my land. It's not perfect. There's still something, there's still the sense that like it needs to be better, it needs to be different. And yet I know that God is starting to fulfill this promise to me. But what does this have to do with me, this promise about the land of Canaan? Actually, if you look down in the Psalm at verse 44, God ramps it up. He didn't just give Abraham Canaan, he gave them the lands of the nations. And they took possession of the fruit of the people. So it's not just Canaan, it's all the nations that God promised Abraham. In fact, I'll give you this quote from Romans chapter four. Paul says this, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of Canaan? No. Israel? No. 
The promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world. God promised Abraham that he would own the whole world. God's gonna bless Abraham. He's gonna bless the whole world through Abraham. And Abraham and his offspring will someday, someday own the whole world. When that happens, we will finally be home. When that happens, the wanderlust that's in your heart right now will finally be satisfied. When that happens, the ache that you have for a home that you've never been in will finally be fulfilled. That sense that I've come from a place that I don't remember, that I'm gonna go to a place that I've never been to, but when I get there, it will feel like I've always lived there. That sense will be fulfilled by God in the new creation. God is restoring us to Eden, and he's restoring Eden to us. That's the land. Finally, offspring, verses one through six. Um, I'm gonna chop this down. Uh, let's look at verse five and six. Remember, remember the wondrous works that God has done. We're in the Psalm right now, Psalm 105. Remember the wondrous works that God has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. God promises Abraham offspring. Now look back at Genesis 15. This is the, uh, the middle paragraph. Um, Abram says to God, I don't have any kids. I don't have any offspring. God says in verse four, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Verse five, and he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now, do, do you guys remember in Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve rebel against God, screw everything up, and God says this really weird cryptic thing to Adam and Eve, and he says, he says, he's talking to the, to, to the serpent, to Satan, and he says, I'm gonna put hatred between you and Eve and between your offspring and her offspring. He, Eve's offspring, will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The promise that Eve is going to have a son who's going to crush, this, who's going to crush Satan and defeat everybody. That's sort of lingering. It's this notion that humans screwed the whole shebang up. God is going to fix the problem through humans. You messed it up, I'm gonna fix it, but I'm gonna use you to fix it. It's very, very vague, right? Eve doesn't know who this is. She just knows that one of her kids someday is gonna come along and fix the problem. Well, when we get to Genesis 12, it gets narrowed down to Abram, Abraham and his offspring. I'm gonna use your offspring to bring this blessing to the whole world. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give your offspring this entire land. Now, what does this mean about salvation? How is God going to fix the whole world? How is God going to fix, bless, the whole world, the land? And the answer is through Abraham's kids. Through Abraham's kids. Now, this means two different things for me and you. How can we participate in this project of rescuing the world? The first is, uh, let me say this two ways. By making babies or by being a baby once yourself, right? The first is, is to be a human being created in God's image, renewed by Jesus Christ. And that's what God tells Abraham. There's no big magic formula. There's, there's no, here's the three steps that you can do something amazing to rescue the world. That, that's honestly, and pay attention to this part. We're almost done. That sort of notion is built on a nonsense philosophy called the great man philosophy. It was popularized about 250 years ago by, uh, by, by a group of historians in the West. 
articulated most clearly by an historian named Thomas Carlyle over a couple hundred years ago. The great man theory goes like this. Actually, let me just quote Thomas Carlyle. Universal history, he says, the history of what humans have accomplished in this world is at bottom the history of the great men who have worked here. Why do big, important things get done? Because big, important people do big, important things. That's the great man theory. And it's dominated the way we've thought about humanity. Y'all are nice, but you know who's important? Rich people, entertainers, politicians, in our culture, professional athletes. These are the people who are doing the true, this is why like when there's some, this is why like when there's some sort of cultural situation going on, like a, you know, a natural disaster or some sort of conflict in culture, like my Yahoo news feed is most filled up with quotes by professional athletes and movie stars and musicians about whatever's been happening in the culture. Like why, why is it so important for me to know what a, what a celebrity thinks about that sub that imploded going down to visit the Titanic. It has nothing to do with it. But we're so convinced that the great people are really great people that we give, we, there's a level of despair that many of you have felt. This is actually what's behind much of your midlife crises. Those of you who've had your midlife crises and those of you who will have, who, who it's, 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 it's waiting there beckoning you towards it, your midlife crises, is this sense that like, I haven't done enough with my life. You know, I, I thought that by the time I was middle-aged, I would have written this great novel. I thought I would have dropped a platinum album by now, or whatever it is, you know. I thought I, I, thought I would have achieved this level of socioeconomic status by now. The, the sense that, like, I'm not important enough. I haven't really got there enough. That's not the way God's designed the world to work. God's designed to rescue the world through Abraham's kids. The main thing that we can do is to be human. That's the main thing you can do, is to be truly human in God's image. That's the main thing you can, now, okay, so, okay, so, so if I'm truly human, Aaron, then I'm gonna start doing great stuff for God. Yes, you are gonna do great stuff for God. You are gonna go to work tomorrow morning and you're gonna clock in and you are gonna do your best to love and serve your clients and your fellow coworkers. You are gonna make a meal to feed yourself and maybe your family or your friends tomorrow. These are the big things that we do. Look, how many years did it take to build Notre Dame, the cathedral? Do you know? 182. Did anybody guess that? You get bonus points. Tell me afterwards if you got it right before I said it. 182 years. That means that the, that the men and women who built Notre Dame, were most, almost all of them were working on it knowing I will never, ever see the finished product of this. I'm not gonna, you know, there are people who are putting the little masonry up in the stained glass windows knowing I will never see this stained glass window, but doing it faithfully day after day, knowing I'm gonna have kids and I'm gonna train them to do this job and then they're gonna have kids and train them to do this job because what's important? Notre Dame got built. That's what's important. Not that any of them were like, I'm the great architect, I'm the great builder. I'm gonna finish this and years from now, people are gonna look back at me and know I was the best mortar worker in the entire kingdom of France. That's not, what, that's not what they thought. They thought, here's the task. The task is beautiful, and it's noble, and it's big, and it's going to give joy and purpose and meaning to millions of people for hundreds and thousands of years. And I'm gonna go to work today, and I'm gonna do my tiny part to participate in that project. 
Whenever you mow your yard, whenever you do laundry, whenever you take a phone call from a customer, whenever you sit around with a friend and have a drink and a discussion, you are participating in this grand project. We are doing what God, we are being offspring. We are doing what God called us to do. That's how God saves the world. That's, that's, that's the first answer to this offspring thing. The second answer is there's two parts here. There's the me and you part. Just be human. The second part, though, is, can I pull back what I said about the great man theory? It's actually true. The great man theory is actually true. But none of us in here are the great men. None of us in here, and in fact, uh, uh, this is a different sermon. I've already preached this sermon. Uh, I'll preach it later if you feel like listening to it. Superhero myths, superheroine myths, are all cheap echoes of the Jesus story. This desire for one person to be great and come, this is why we love Michael Jordan, because he actually echoes Jesus. Somebody who can come in and win no matter what. All right. Who is the real offspring? You and I are, of course, but the real offspring, there's only one. There's only one real offspring. Let me, uh, here, here's what Paul says in Galatians 3. Paul says this. Um, uh, this, was in, this was in your epistle reading for this morning. Look at verse 27. For as many of, Paul's answering the question here. He's answering the question, how can Gentiles, which is almost all of us in this room, how can Gentiles be Abraham's offspring? How can we be related to Abraham? How can we be Jews? If the promise is for the Jews, how can you and I be Jews? Here's, here's Paul's answer, verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Have you been baptized into Christ? That means that you are now inside of Jesus. So that when God looks at Jesus, he sees Jesus and not just you, but you inside of Jesus. And everything that he loves about Jesus belongs to you. And all the promises he's made to Jesus belong to you. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. What's he saying? Ethnicity, Jew or Greek, socioeconomic status, slave or free, gender, male or female. This is not your identity anymore. Your identity is now in Jesus Christ. So that, last verse, verse 29, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. You and I are Abraham's offspring. We can be building the cathedral in the small ways he's called us to build the cathedral every day because we are inside the one true offspring of Abraham, Jesus Christ. And Jesus came to earth to be like us so that we could be like him. He came to earth to die the death that belonged to me and you so that when we died, our deaths would be swallowed up in his death. So that when he rose from the dead, our resurrection would be guaranteed inside of his resurrection. Jesus came to earth to do all that, to live our lives, to die our deaths, to be raised with our resurrections so that we could be plugged into him via baptism so that we could be looked at by God as offspring of Abraham and so that we could be put on this project, which began in Genesis 12 and is still going on now, of bringing about God's kingdom. Not by doing anything great and dramatic. Maybe you will. Who knows? But by doing the small things, which actually, because they're done by us, end up being the great things. Laundry ends up becoming a kingdom-bringing event. Answering the phone at work ends up bringing about God's kingdom because he's infused you with that ability as offspring of Abraham in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, help us to see ourselves, not, not as we see ourselves now, Father, but help us to see ourselves as the offspring of Abraham in your son, Jesus Christ, and because of that blessed, living in the promise of future territory and home, living in the promise of eternal blessing, 
because of you, Lord, because of the great offspring, your son Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. the breaking of the dawn to the setting of the sun I will stand on every promise of your word words of power strong to say that will never pass away I will stand on every stand on every promise from your word when I stumble and I sin condemnation pressing in I will stand on every promise of your word you are faithful to forgive that in freedom I might live. So I stand on every promise of your word. Guilt to innocence restored, you remember sins no more. So I'll stand on every promise of anguish choice I will listen for your voice and I'll stand on every promise of your word through this dark and troubled land you will guide me with your hand as I stand on every promise of your word and you promise to complete every work begun in me so I'll stand on every promise of your word hope that lifts me from despair love that casts out every
Please stand for prayer. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would um, continue your kingdom and that you would grow and grow your kingdom here in Glen Carbon. <clears throat> Allow us to be a part of that, Father. Allow us to be a part of your vision for the righteous place that Glen Carbon could be the place of justice, the place of truth-telling, the place of self-sacrificial love. Help St. James to be a part of that, Lord. Help us to model that and embody it in a way that's super attractive. Help us to be the kind of church that even if people disagree with what we believe, that they would be very, very reluctant for us to not be here serving and loving the community. I pray that you'd be with our sister LCMS churches in the area. We pray especially this morning for Jerusalem Lutheran Church in Collinsville and uh, Pastor Doug Nicely there, that you would bless them as they hear your word and celebrate uh, your sacrament. We pray for every uh, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church in Edwardsville and Glen Carbon this morning. Together, may we see your kingdom grow larger and larger all the time for your glory. Lord, in your mercy. Father, I pray especially this morning that you be with John as he has uh, left and is over in China now and as he ministers your word there in Shenzhen that you would uh, work in the lives of the people that he's loving and ministering to, that you would work in his life as well and that if it be your will, Father, that this, uh, that this be the kind of ministry you want John doing, which would be super sad for us, that you would open up doors and you would lead and guide him in that direction and empower him with your Holy Spirit to serve you in that way. Lord, in your mercy. Father, be with all of us who are struggling with uh, sicknesses and diseases and pain, with mental health issues, with relational health issues, with our financial health. Lord, would you meet us where we're at? We want to, we, we know and we believe, Father, that you are gonna make all things good in the end, but we also know and believe that you're making all things good now. Would you give us a taste of that? And we trust you for this. Father, if this is, you answer this request in whatever way you see fit and however your loving and sovereign will wants to meet this request. But do, Lord, make it clear that you're in charge and that you're working and that you love us like we know that you do. Lord, in your mercy. We pray these things only because you've invited us into your throne room and sat in us on your lap, have called us your daughters and sons, have united us to your son, Jesus Christ, making him our brother and us, your kids. And so we pray these prayer requests with boldness, knowing that you'll, forgive, that you'll forgive all the bad intentions in them and that you'll answer them according to your loving will. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you can, confess your faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, in the life everlasting. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly good, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, O Lord our God, King of all creation, 
For you've had mercy on us and given your only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Grant us your spirit, gracious Father, that we may give heed to the testament of your son in true faith. And above all, firmly take to heart the words with which Christ gives to us his body and blood for our forgiveness. By your grace, lead us to remember and give thanks for the boundless love which he manifested to us when by pouring out his precious blood he saved us from your righteous wrath and from sin, death and hell. Grant that we may receive the bread and wine, that is, his body and blood as a gift, guarantee, and pledge of his salvation. Graciously receive our prayers, deliver and preserve us, for to you alone, O Father, be all glory, honor, and worship with the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Now let's pray in Jesus' name, the prayer that he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated. Oh, no. 
true body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen you and preserve you and keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Depart in Christ's peace. Amen.
bless the Lord. Lord bless you and keep you. Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. A couple things real quick. First of all, we are feeding the uh, employees of Glen Carbon Village Library Police Fire Station this Friday. Many of you have signed up to help with that. If you want to participate, you still can. But if you, if you are participating or if you signed up, be here Friday at 10 o'clock in the morning. If you have any questions, see Jen about that. Second of all, don't forget the door offering on the way out for the matching grant for Metro East Lutheran High School. Third of all, we're doing philosophy downstairs in adult Bible class. We're talking about how you can know things. Join us for that. Fourth and lastly, look around, find people that you have not talked to recently. Build relationship. The kingdom is about relationship. Go in peace.